Hi there. This week I am with Joe. Uh, Joe is actually now a coach, uh, but he has gone through so many chaotic thing in his life that uh, I, I can't wait for you guys and uh, people to hear that. Um, it was uh, it was so odd. Um, I initially sent him the invite in French. He responded in English. I then responded myself in English. And I saw, you know, like looking back, I, I saw the chain of kind of back and forth email. Um, eventually, while we were discussing uh, during the recording of the podcast, he told me how much, um, how long he was in Montreal. And so by the end, when I pressed stop on the recording, we started to expect exchange in French. His French is fantastic. We may even, well, now that I think of it, we may even try to record one in French so that our French listeners can have a uh, share of his story as well. But uh, without further ado, here's Joe. Enjoy. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, where are you located? Regina, Saskatchewan. Aha. Uh, uh, a fellow Canadian. Correct. Correct. Um, what time is it? You're, you're a few hours away from Eastern time, yeah. right? Two hours? Yeah, two hours. It's 621 where I'm at right now. Aha. Um, yeah. As I do with every one of my guests, you know, like the the question is pretty much like where do we start that joe story you know like um i tried to you know like revert that time machine as far as possible into your first memories of either something that has hit your your you know like your memory or you know like that that you remember clearly in terms of um you know like yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm leaving you the door open to bring me to the first chapter of your Joe story. <laughs> Thanks, thank you, and thank you for having me on, Alex. Um, it's uh, certainly a privilege to be on and and share my story with somebody else, and for the listeners who are listening, obviously. Thank you. Um, you know, hopefully, anything that we discuss here can, I don't know, light a light bulb up for somebody or help somebody, what have you, or ask different questions. So my story. You know, there's the old idea that, you know, when we get to a certain age, whether it's around, you know, mid-20s, 30-ish, we're just like a sum total of all of our <clears throat> our memories, our conscious, our unconscious decisions have been made throughout uh, those 30 years. And uh, so I think it's important to start at the beginning for sure. Um, I come from a, a – uh, some parent, my parents are from the Philippines. They immigrated to, Saskatch- to Canada, I should say, in seven – I reckon 73, if I'm not mistaken. And um, they moved, uh, they landed in Toronto. They went from Toronto to Windsor and then through my father's job, uh, landed them in Saskatchewan and Regina, Saskatchewan. And I was born, well, in 1979. So I'll be be 41 this year. And and, um, yeah, so I was born and raised in Saskatchewan to, you know, two Filipino parents. My my father's family are Spaniards from, you know, descendants from from Spain. And so I grew up in, in Regina at that time, which was smaller than it was now, than it is now. Uh, I mean, it's still relatively a smaller city, um, 
but like I, I had quite a, a, you know, a pleasant, you know, not a harsh, uh, you know, childhood. Although that, you know, there are certain, you know, things about my childhood that being a, a Filipino and, and uh, you know, Spaniard descent in Regina, Saskatchewan, in Prairie Town, Canada. Uh, you know, I, needless to say, growing up, I grew up I, in my group of friends. I was probably the, the only one with a deeper tan than anybody else. <laughs> yeah, and I was I was about to ask that. You know, like uh, first question is uh, brothers and sisters. Yeah, I have one sister. I have one older sister. She's seven years older than me, and we are very close. Okay, yeah. one. And, sister, it was just the four of us. And and my second question is more related to what you just said. I mean, it must have been quite um, less multicultural than it than it is now, actually. Well, very much, very, very, very much. Like now it's actually quite blossomed uh, and it's quite, it's quite diverse now. Uh, but when I was growing up, no, it wasn't, it wasn't like if there were any Filipinos in the city, we, we knew everybody, everybody, we all knew each other. Right now it's, I mean, I'm, I see all kinds of Filipinos that, Uh, yeah, I don't even know. I mean, amongst all the other cultures, whether it be from Africa, from the Middle East. Uh, um, yeah. So, you know, growing up, like I was like the, I remember being a novice in Adam in hockey and like, I, I'm pretty sure like I'm, I might've been one of two, but I was pretty sure I was one of the only colored kids in the hockey league. Right. Does that mean that you, you, you're, You know, like I, I, I know, you know, like I, I think I know the answer, but you know, like, are you easily targeted as like the bully target and, uh, you know, like the bullying target and that kind of stuff, you know, like, or, or these, um, stupid comments and, you know, like, uh, and, and, and then the second question, depending on your answer, but you know, like, how do you respond to those? You know, like, how do you feel about them? If you, if you, if you had any. Well, like now, like absolutely. So to answer your first question, yeah, absolutely. I was subject and I was targeted and I was, and I experienced, you know, racism when I was growing up and through my, through my childhood, through my, my adolescence, through my teenage years, and even through my young adulthood. Um, you know, at first, I mean, at first I had no clue what they were talking about, right? Like I didn't, I, I don't think I saw an, an, an inequality until it was brought to my attention from somebody that was bullying me or somebody that had something to say about my race. And, and, um, yeah, but the moment, see the moment that I just, the, the moment that I got subject to that and the moment I realized, oh, it's because I'm different. Yeah. There, there were sort of, sort of installations from a young age of being different. Right. Yeah. So as a result of that, yeah, I always felt different. I always felt, um, I mean, I'm, I was always pretty sociable as I am today. Um, pretty easy to get along with, but I always felt that I was just a little bit different, a little bit separate, a little bit alone from the crowd for sure. Yeah. And, and it's funny because just before starting the recording, we started talking about, you know, like the introverts and the extroverts and, um, mm -hmm. and you know, like there, there's pretty much like two, um, There's two attitude that you see uh, transpiring from that kind of, you know, like, um, I would say, I don't know if it's, it's scars. I would, I would talk, you know, like I would describe them as scars, right? You know, like even though some you realize much later um, and you see two attitude, you know, like one is um, introverting, you know, like just like shelling up or shelling down to, you know, like... Um, 
and other will become bully themselves. You know, like you, you, you want to fuck with me, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to mess you up. You know, like I'm going to, you know, like I'm going to fight more. I'm going to be, you know, like I'm not going to let, um, do do you remember on what side you were, you know, like what option consciously, unconsciously you chose? Yeah. Like I, I don't, I definitely didn't become a bully per se. Like, I, I mean, you know, as, as kids, we, we, yeah, we picked on other people or we, I, I didn't become like, I didn't say to myself, well, okay. So now, now that I know this, now that I'm different, now I'm going to like, uh, bully in a negative way. I rather took, I rather took the avenue of like sort of being a leader in my group of friends and, uh, took on a sort of dominant role in my in my group of friends of w- dominant whether that's being the guy who's got all the answers the funny guy the you know the the, the daring guy or the, you know uh, because I knew that I had to stand out right because I stood out already so I might as well stand out in a, in a fashion that would 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 um, I guess looking back would bring me some sort of uh, contentment within myself because the thing is with me is that I wouldn't show you if you looked at me you wouldn't see the fear and the insecurity and the feeling different you wouldn't see that but I wouldn't show it to you I would feel it but I wouldn't show it to you I'd show you different and we hear that often which is like the the mask right you know like the the um cheerful happy you know like the the Oh, that Joe, you know, like always smiling and always, you know, like the, the, the clown of, you know, like the clown act and, you know, like, um, that guy never seems to be sad or mad, you know, like he, he's just super fucking enjoyable to be with. Yeah. Just a good guy. Right. Just a good guy. And, and it's, and it's funny, like, I know that we're at the beginning of my story, but you know, you fast forward several years later with all the work that I've been able to sort of do some introspection and work and have done that on myself and, you know, different experiences. I still get to be that guy, but it comes from a different place. It doesn't come from a place of fear as it, as it did. I totally get it. I totally get it. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, what was, um, what was your relation to authority? Um, you know, like I, I always ask those questions because, you know, like, um, um, there's, there's pretty much like two, the f- initial sources of, of authority is, well, first your parents, yeah. um, and then comes, you know, like, um, school where it's kind of an outside foreign, um, authority, um, yeah. joining the mix, you know, like what was your relationship with, you know, like what was your relation with authority? Yeah, my relation, like, so my relationship was, a th- it's, it's sort of strange to say, and it might sound very paradoxical, but it, it, it or, or contradictory. I, I, I didn't come from a place of defying authority by saying like, fuck authority, I don't want to listen to them. It, it was just more of like, I want to do what I want to do. And I want to, I sort of want, I want to experience what I want to experience. And, um, yeah, so it might sound the same, but it wasn't like, so I know some people that were completely like defiant of authority. Like that's an authority figure and I'm going to make sure I do everything opposite of what they tell me. And that wasn't always necessarily my case, but my case was just more like, I want to sort of just do what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and were your parents strict? Um, I mean, to no, no, I wouldn't say strict to, to a certain degree uh, at periods of time. I'm a lot less strict with me than my sister, right? My sister being the firstborn, being a girl, uh, um, 
you know, they might've had the, you know, they might've had the leash a little, a little tighter yep. uh, with me. I mean, I kind of, I got away with a lot, man. I mean, I, they weren't that strict with me. Like, I don't remember ever being grounded. I, I'm not sure if that happens in other ethnicities. <laughs> I mean, <yeah. laughs> a lot of it does. Caucasian, it does. <laughs> a lot of my Caucasian friends would get grounded. I'd be like, what's, what's that? What's grounded all about? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it not only it does, but you know, like it, it's it seems to be something that got lost in the last few generations, right? You know, like uh, my parents grounded me. You know, like my yeah. my parents, um, not that they were strict. It's just that you know, like there was there was um, you know, like there was some s slapping when it, you deserved it and uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. stuff that you know, like I, I, almost taboo taboo right now, but. Um, uh, in my time, you know, like if you, if you messed with the parental authority, you know, like you, there could be a uh, slapping was part of the list of options that could happen, you know, like, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. Now it's like, oh, they'll take their phone away or they'll take their PlayStation away or their Xbox or their TV. Like, I mean, it's very different in our times. Right. So. Right. And, and the last, you know, like it seems like the, some of the latest generation is pretty much you know, like the kids are turning around and said, I dare you to take my playstation and like what you know like if i would have just hinted <laughs> oh, yeah. at saying that to my dad or my mom you know like it would have been a fucking nightmare for me so i mean yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah. well, i mean same here right like so if i blatantly defied my family for sure they my parents would put their foot down um But uh, to say that they were strict, I, I wouldn't say like, I, I mean, I mean, I did a lot of what I wanted to do and, and it didn't always come from a place from screw them. It just, like I was saying earlier, it came from a place from like, I just want to do what I want to do, which would one would say would be really lack of consideration. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of my deal with authority. Um, yeah. I don't How know. were you at school? Uh, school? I was that, I was the, I was the. I was the, the guy who made everyone laugh, the guy who brought people together. I was the kid who, um, yeah, like who was like, who would make people laugh, who would be daring, who would be funny. Um, but I, that, that was all coming from a place again, like a lot often when I look back in hindsight, obviously, I mean, there was a lot of fear in me. There was a lot of, there was a lot of ideas of me being different and not the same as everybody else. So I really had to stand out and I made sure I did. <laughs> and then comes, um, you know, like some of the most, for some, some of the most dreaded years, um, which is like PNH, puberty and yep. high school. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I was PNH for you. <laughs> yeah, man, it was, I mean, it was weird, man. Like uh, you just, I just brought up, just brought up a memory. Like even as like with Filipino genes in me, I mean, Asians are not very hairy. And I remember my, in, in puberty, like, you know, some of my, my buddies were, were getting a little bit of like fuzz around the face and armpit hair. And I was like the last one to get any of that stuff. And again, right. I, I saw it as being different. I said, I saw it as being separate from, um, but then in high school, Like uh, high school for me, you know, what the idea was for me, Alex, it was like I had this idea that I'm going to go to a place at five days a week where my friends are. And so needless to say, it doesn't mean I, I regularly attended school. <laughs> But, yeah, I was kind of, I, I was a troublemaker as well. And um, I never did fail a class, though. I mean, surprisingly enough, like I always seem to like, I don't know, just 
pull my pull pull it out of somewhere and I'd end up end up passing all my class. I never failed a class. Doesn't mean I always pass with flying colors, but I was rarely at school. <laughs> Did you develop uh, any bad habits? You know, like um because those are the years, right? You know, like the, those are like the partying years and the, um, and you know, like not, not necessarily under peer pressure. It's just that, you know, like they are, um, you know, like teens is just that time, you know, like where, where, you know, like you, you either are or not developing yeah. those habits. Yeah. Well, it's like in, as in a teenage years, like, which is like, you know, it's like 14 to 21, it's like a socialization. It's like a, sorry, like um, a socialization stage uh, where, you know, zero to seven, we're like at this imprint stage, right? We're like these little unconscious minds with no real logical, rational thinking, getting imprinted by everything around us, i.e. our families, right? Like this is where a sort of, you know, different criterias get installed like is it is it is it good to talk about your problems are you encouraged to talk about your feelings um is sex taboo is it openly spoken about um right so like zero to seven is a, re is a real important stage because it's like where we get a lot of where we just get an imprint and we start sponging things you know eight to 14 they say is like the modeling stage so we start modeling people we start seeing whether it be superheroes whether it be uh, other people the kids down the street the older kid down the street and you start modeling modeling what your parents do siblings do and in like 14 to 21 this is where we go and we like we we socialize it we try out these things and in that those teenage years it's like yeah it's really uncomfortable right in a sense of like you're trying to figure she's trying to figure this thing out you're trying to <laughs> trying to figure out like where you fit how you fit what you what you fit into and you know i was a i was a good chameleon so i could be i could be friends with like um i could in my days i could be friends with like the skateboarder crew i could be friends with uh the jocks because i played sports i could be friends with you know the preppy group the the, the druggy group i mean like i could i could just sort of weave my win my my way in and out of groups not completely showing who i am but showing what i thought they wanted to see yeah 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 and um it, so you 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 go through high school yeah. what what was your did you have any career or you know like goals um <laughs> I mean, I was, I was big into, I was big in soccer, right? So I excelled quite a bit in soccer and I, and I, and I got scouted, you know, with a few teams and, um, a hockey I excelled in as well. I mean, it was, soccer was really my focus, you know, professionally speaking, like I didn't really have very many aspirations, right? Like I, I don't know, like I enjoyed hanging out with people, but I mean, in grade eight, grade eight's the first time I ever picked up a drink. And I ever tried alcohol. The summer of grade eight is the first time I ever picked up, you know, a drop of alcohol. And my experience, obviously, is you know, I, I battled many years with alcohol and drugs. But my experience is when I when I when I took that first drink, man, it was Alex. It was like uh, those the feelings of being different, separate, and alone, and not cool enough, not good looking enough, not funny enough, not white enough. I mean, all those feelings disappeared. Gone literally <laughs> with a snap of a finger and all of a sudden i became man like i was like cool i was good looking i didn't i had muscles i didn't know i had i could talk to the girls i could fight i could be confident i could i mean 
all those feelings that I had pre-alcohol went away, like in, literally in a snap. The, the moment it warmed my belly and filled my system, I was like, damn, this is good. When can we do this again? When's the next time that we can do this again? So like going into grade nine or going into high school, I mean, I discovered the effect of, on me with alcohol and drugs. So we started, you know, smoking pot, you know, doing some psychedelics and, um, yeah. So like to come back to your question is that I had these aspirations, but what I, I found more of a belonging, I found more, I fit in, I found more comfort and ease when I was drinking, doing drugs with friends. Do you have, you know, like you you described this like a super clear memory of, um, of of the, that that whole batch of feeling happening when you took that first drink, yeah. Um, it 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 is still today as clear as day as it was at the time. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I can see exactly where I was. We were sitting in a park. I remember we were sitting in the park, and there was you know, probably I don't know, 10, I'd like to say ten or twelve of us, and we we're sitting in the park uh, by my buddy's house. And we're all gathered there. And this is the next thing, right? So this is like somebody, I reckon it was, it was, it was a guy, Brian, he, he suggested like, Hey, my brother can pull, can get some alcohol for us. And it was like, well, okay, well, what the fuck, what's alcohol about? What's that deal? Like I had no, I really no idea. And I was like, okay, cool. This is, I feel like I'm a part of the group. I feel excited. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I what's going to happen? What are we going to do? And I I remember sitting there waiting for that guy to pull up. He pulls up in this big, long boat. It was like a Caprice classic or something like that. And, uh, he comes out and he's got this Brown bag and these bottles are clanging. It was like, it was, it was angelic. He almost looked angelic when he was approaching us. And I was like, okay, we were, we were, we were passing out all the alcohol. So this guy ordered, one guy would order like, you know, red hot 100 cinnamon alcohol, another one peach schnapps, another one. And I ordered just vodka because I had no idea what I was getting. So I just got some vodka, straight vodka, polarized vodka. It was a Mickey of it. And, um, I proceeded to drink that and I, I proceeded to drink that and probably in about 20 minutes time, it took me to finish that Mickey. Wow. Yeah. I totally remember. I remember, I remember like the tingling feeling on my, my lips, it going down my throat, it burning and then it warming my belly and then just like my chest puffing up. And all of a sudden I'm standing a bit taller and it's like, okay, I'm in this I'm part. It. I'm part of. You know, like yeah. that's. You know, like it's also that feeling of being part of. Um, as you say, you know, like there's those. Those are times that you, there's a lot of trial and errors on. You know, like the imprints you got, and you know, like some of the, the mimicking you want to re- reproduce. Yeah. Um, and then finally, your identity gets defined by that substance, whatever that substance is. You That's know, right. Um, this is who I am. That's right. Yeah. And, and it is, um, it's either, you know, like, um, you just mentioned, you know, like the, you, 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 you kind of go and buy your own round of whatever alcohol and eventually, you know, like you become like that. Okay. It's all on me guys. You know, like tabs on me and, you know, like drugs on me and, um, and so that as well becomes part of your identity and that as well becomes part of your, um, oh, that Alex, you know, like he's such a, he's such a generous guy, you know, like there's yeah. so much alcohol and, and yeah. pot when, when, when we call him and, um, 
oddly enough, you know, I could, it was not out of generosity. It was not a out of not using a loan. <laughs> I mean, well, that's, I mean, and it's, if we look at, if we just look at the language around it in, in English, right, we call them, we call them spirits. That's yep. what, that's what we call alcohol. We call them spirits, which I mean, which is a derivative of the word spiritus. So we can go into spirituality, and you know, in my experience, my 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 quest, my spiritual quest, or my um, uh, yeah, I guess quest is the right word. What I've discovered when I'm in spirit is when I'm connected to you know to whatever I, I call my source, and 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 I'm connected to others. Right. When I discover the spirit is often when I connect to others. And so when you think about drinking, we call it spirits. I mean, what does drinking do it in for sure in the beginning, it brings people together. We cheers each other, chin, chin, the buy around for the table. Um, right. Like it, it brings people together of the spirit, if you will. And um, what an illusion that was for me that I lived for many years. <laughs> so um, so I guess. So what do you pick for a college choice, you know, like in terms of, you know, like professional planning, was it, was it related to the soccer team? And I guess it was, but you know, like where would, you know, like what was your aspiration? I mean, you know, like in, 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 you know, like, um, I was realistically, what, 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 what were they? My aspirations were realistically to play soccer. Like that's sort of the direction I was going. And then okay. I, yeah. And then I remember, like, I remember in grade nine, you know, it was frosh week. Remember we used to have frosh weeks. Um, yep. Yeah. And, you know, I proceeded to get really drunk on frosh week and the next day waking up, you know, with, with a girl in my bed and being like, wow, what a great night. And, and then, I was sorry. I woke up to the phone ringing and it was my soccer coach who was asking me, where are you? Our game starts in like half an hour and you're not here. And, and I, I remember it just flashed the night, the party that I had, how people like welcomed me. And I was a grade nine kid that the grade 12s were like, this guy's cool. Na, 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 na. And I remember just flashing to like how great of a night it was. And then, saying to my soccer coach yeah i'm, I'm not going to make it i won't be there and um that was kind of a turning point for me right that was kind of like there was that decision conscious and unconscious decision of like this is bringing me more joy <laughs> so you know professionally speaking later on i mean like i want a, i want a job that will pay me money so that i can continue to 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 feel that connectedness right um through alcohol and drugs yeah and so where do you end up you know like do you do you end up in some college do you end up in some no. um no no so i ended up so basically what happened is i, I well i ended up being in, here in regina and and working odd jobs here and there i mean different jobs and trying to make you know trying to make most money i mean i always had a good drive in terms of building success and whatnot but it was always so that I can go back out and party and be with my friends and, and sort of do that. Right. So <clears throat> I stayed in Saskatchewan for a while. What happened is my drinking and drugging started getting to a pretty problematic level. 
And so I did what we call as, you know, I mean, a famous expression, I did a geographical cure. Yep. Classic. Yeah. So I did a few of them actually. So I moved to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, I moved to Vancouver, uh, moved back to Saskatchewan, moved to, and then I moved to Montreal. And, uh, then I I moved down to the Bahamas, was down in the Bahamas for a couple of years, back to Montreal, back to Regina, back to Montreal, then back to Regina. (laughs) And so just for all of our listeners, yeah. uh, a geographical cure is, you know, like the false pretense and the false, um, I guess the false pretense that, you know, like by moving somewhere else as far away as your drug dealers are, uh, you're going to be cured. And yeah. uh, or your, I just, or your I just, problems. Like, yeah. Drug dealing, uh, just- yeah, all of it. Yeah, for sure. You know, like you, you running away from your problems. And, and uh, I want to just let the cu- the listeners know that it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the listeners, so- yeah. I was taught by a very wise person uh, who said to me, Joe, everywhere you go, you bring yourself with you. Right. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Not only that, I mean, like I, I was joking with my, uh, my, with my guest on Monday that I, I was recording that, um, I don't know why, but we seem to have like a radar and, and a sixth sense. Um, I don't know how many times walking some of the main streets of downtown Montreal being asked when I was using, if I had rolling paper on me. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden I come out of therapy Three weeks later, I come out of therapy, yeah. walking the same fucking streets, mm. and no one asks me. Yeah, which is just weird. It's you know, weird. like so, yeah. so, so, you know, like uh, you know, and, and you, you're gonna tell me, but you know, like I would, I would assume that within 48, 72, 72 hours top, landing somewhere that you don't know anyone. You 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 had already found who's going to supply you drugs or whatever. Twenty four hours, Alex. Twenty four hours. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's driven by this illusion, right? Like that we can. I mean, I've done that not only with drugs, Alex. I've done that in my professional life too, right? So, like, I work in. A, I would work in a corporation, get head hunted in the same industry by a different corporation, not being happy where I was, and thinking to myself, "Well, if I go to a different corporation, maybe I'll be happy," knowing damn well inside of me I wasn't contented, right? So, I, I've done geographical cures within corporation to corporation. I've done it city to city. I've done it girlfriend to girl. I mean, you know, like you can. We can do it in any facet of our lives, and and if we don't pay attention, well, what here's here's the good news is that what's really true, what's really going on within us, it will always it'll always re- it'll always surface itself in terms of getting our attention. Yep, <laughs> for sure, yeah, it totally did for me as well. Um, a few questions here. Um, first of all, um, were your parents aware? of those abuse and that, that how you were hurting yourself. Um, and then what was the reaction of, um, I don't know if, you know, like they felt that, you know, like you were failing or, you know, like, because, you know, like, um, my parents had high aspiration for me, you know, like, so I was good at school and so on and so forth, but I end up in arts at the call, you know, I mean, it was, it was a shit show, you know, like I, I, I don't even finish like the second session, you know, like one of the teacher actually just 
asked me bluntly, you know, like, what are you still fucking doing here? You know, like, what's, what's wrong with you? You know, like, and, and, um, and yeah, I mean, like the, 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 the question is, you know, like were your parents aware of, you know, like your, your, your kind of your life hygiene and, and what was their reaction to that? Yeah, I, they, they became aware when I was in high school. Right. Um, I, 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 I can remember, you know, dad, you know, finding paraphernalia in the car and, um, you know, having arguments and then me admitting it to them that I was doing drugs and whatnot. And I mean, you know, what are their reactions to that? Well, one, as parents seeing their children go down that road, I can only ima- I can't identify right because I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine um, and I, and I know from what they've just verbalized to me, how, how it made them feel. Obviously it made them feel worried. It made them question themselves. It made them ask if they'd done anything wrong. And then on top of that, Alex, you can layer on the fact that they immigrated from across the other side of the world for a better chance for their children. And here's one of their child that's royally just fucking up. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 the other question is, you know, like my parents, didn't know about this. You know, when I say didn't know about this, didn't know about solutions mm-hmm. um, on, on my mother. And um, obviously my grandfather was a non-admitted uh, alcoholic. Yeah. Um, so he died still uh, drinking. Yeah. Um, and uh, my mom, if, you know, like if, if she'd opened the, the, the can, uh, you can be sure that, you know, like it would end up in, in some puking disaster or whatever yeah. um, most of the time. Plus there was like that, that Christmas Eve, at last I'm drunk and I'm going to tell you the truth and the shit that, you know, like I got on my mind and, you know, like with the crying and the shouting and, you know, like it's the old thing, you know, like yeah. on my father's side, zero of that you know like there was there was none of that um my father any habit that he would realize that he's developing he'd stop you know like so he would eat i don't know like even candies for a few days straight and say oh shit i'm expecting to eat candies tonight i stop Mm -hmm. um he'd be just um complete opposite of of addiction you know like our or anything that looks like addiction. So you can imagine that neither camps knew any pathway to solution mm-hmm. to what they were witnessing yeah. at all. Yeah. So so what ended up happening is that, you know, like two kids and, and, and a girlfriend at the time later um, and a few years in, she started threatening to leave and, and doing so to my parents, um, not to me directly, but to my parents with um, pretty much like website addresses of a therapy center. Yeah. So my parents kind of, dis- well, they knew that I had a problem because a year prior, I was actually in a, I would say like a public health outside detox center, which meant that, you know, like I wasn't... Um, sleeping there. I was just yeah, like... It was uh, outpatient, uh, yeah. Yeah, like attending. Yeah. Um, but you know, like the, the most of our public system in Quebec, I don't know if it's the same um, in, in 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 your in your place, but most of the pub, well, I would say almost all of the public sector um, um, addiction center are actually um, what they call in French. It's actually called réduction des méfaits, which is like um, harm reduction. They, 
arm reduction. So yeah. they propose that eventually you're going to be able to um, to use reasonably, yeah. which for me is just nonsense. But that said, um, I had attended that. Um, I actually then became way more um, hidden and less self-promoting of my of my use right you know like it became you know like hiding bottles and all that yeah. all this to say that you know like did your parents knew any like i don't know like an uncle that you know like they knew had problems or or was there um substance abuse in your enlarged family yeah on my on my father's side there was um but you got to remember that they're coming from the Philippines, right? Which is not a first world country at all. Yep. Uh, you know, in the Philippines, you suffer from depression or anxiety or addiction. It's like, well, maybe you should just take, you know, maybe you should go sleep and eat something and you should be better kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, you know, um, so, so my father discovered via, via his, 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 work his employment when he here in Regina when I was I was out there in Montreal when I started I started to really go down a dark place and um and you know with alcohol and cocaine and um he discovered he discovered some some solutions via his his employee his employee assistance program in in Regina so he sort of found some crisis centers in in Montreal you know, he had found some support groups for parents here in Regina or for people that, you know, have someone that they love who is caught in the cycle of alcoholism or addiction. But before that, prior to that, Alex, I mean, they didn't. I mean, it wasn't on their map, really. And how old were you? Well, first of all, can you elaborate on, you know, like when you say going through darker days, you know, like um, can 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 you help me and the listeners just understand what you mean by that yeah like so so my alcoholism and, and cocaine addiction just took really it really just took a, a really high priority in my life where where i say dark like i mean drinking and using for three four five days straight six days straight not eating not showering pawning everything that i own <clears throat> um you know people not knowing where i was people wondering if i'm dead um and just like the self-loathing that goes along with that and the shame that goes along with that of failing everybody, um, myself, um, you know, not, not living up to what, what I think should be a healthy life, even though I didn't really know what a healthy life was. I, would, I knew that a healthy life wasn't consuming the amount of cocaine and alcohol that I was doing, um, yeah. And just, and hiding and, and hiding it from everyone. And I mean, that's a really lonely place because I mean, as social as I, as I am of a person and as a, you know, as a, as a guy who's really able to, to connect with people, even prior, prior to getting sober, my drug addiction and alcoholism took me to a place of isolation. Like, I mean, that's where it took me, it took me to a place of isolation, stealing, um, you know, and if I if I bring you right up to a place where, you know, uh, at the end, I mean, I was sitting on my floor because I had pawned all pieces of furniture in my apartment. Um, I had to get some medicine, uh, some some medicine for my asthma. 
Uh, I didn't have money, so I was standing out the Jean Couture and NDG, uh, which is a pharmacy for the listeners, standing out there asking for money so I could get some money to get it. Um, you know, no, no minutes left on my phone because I had no money to pay for minutes on my phone because I'd spent it all on drugs, so nobody could get a hold of me. Um, to my sister at the time was living there and she, you know, her and her husband, I mean, would stop by, you know, like, cause they were worried. Right. And, and they, I would open the door and just look at them or just not let them in and tell them to go away. And, um, yeah, like just dark, like bringing, like just really hurting and just loathing of myself and hurting other people and worrying other people and, um, not being able to get to work just because I've been up for three days you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how old were you? When I got sober, when I finally got, cl- well, when, you know, like there's a, there's a few questions that comes to mind. You know, like the first one is, do you remember the first seed of, well, most, most of the time is, is, um, like the day after, or, you know, like waking up hungover and, ha- you know, like having those first seeds planted of that can't be it, you know, like that can't be my life. Do you do you remember that? Yeah, I'm just trying to think here. What what, what uh, the memory? What, there's one memory that came up when you just said when you asked that question. There's a there's just a memory that just popped up, and there was a moment where, because um, I used to get cocaine through friends, right? Like through certain friends and through connections, and then I remember I finally established cutting out the middleman and getting to the dealer myself. <laughs> Yeah. And I just remember thinking, oh shit, this isn't, this is not a good idea. Um, but I wanted it. Right. Um, yeah. And how, how many years prior to you kind of taking a, like a, a decision on, on ending your life for the best, you know, like, do you remember if it was, you know, like, cause the question why I asked that is like, you know, like a lot of people are either, you know, like people underestimate how many, well, most of the people I've, I've spoken to, how many years we're actually waking up with our, well, mostly our self promises that it's, it was the last day yesterday. Um, yeah. And people, you know, like most of the people that don't know addiction yeah. um, would, would not believe you know, like that, you know, like that there's, there's years separating that self-promise of fuck, you know, like it, it has to be the last day, you know, like I have to stop, you know, like this, this can't be it. And the, the, that day where you decide that it's over, um, that's why I'm asking that question because I know that, you know, like people, some people just have no idea because they think it's all fun until it stops being fun. But when it stops being fun, there's, there's for so many, a long period of time where it's not fun for a while and some for a long while. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember I was, I was 20 years old and I was, um, I had, just gone through the Christmas and New Year's holidays here in Regina, using and drinking a lot, ended up being in the hospital uh, as a result of drinking and using. Um, And then from there, right after that New Year's, I decided I had to, again, I was like, you know, I got to get out of the city. This isn't good for me. 
Uh, and I, I was 20 years old and I left out, I, I got on a Greyhound bus and everything I owned was, was in a suitcase <laughs> and I left Regina to go out to Montreal. And I remember, I remember being on the Greyhound leaving Mon- uh, Regina and just kind of looking it past me by through the window of the Greyhound, just, just sort of watching it pass me by. And, and I remember crying just cause I knew that I had been really fucking up my life and, and, and. I want, I know, I knew that I wanted to just live differently, that I didn't want to keep repeating what I was doing in Regina. And then I got to Montreal. And so that was 20 years old. And then I got, I got, I finally got sober and clean at 26. So there was six years of really, of like going back to that which I knew was really screwing me up and that was just getting worse and worse. It was six years of doing that, of going back and forth. And then finally at 24, I want to say, uh, no, 23 and a half, maybe 23, 24 around there. I finally ended up getting, going to a meeting, uh, a, a, you know, a, a recovery meeting. And then I bounced in and out from recovery, uh, programs for another like what two and a half three years almost of like not wanting to use and still using yeah so bring me back to what brought you to that meeting just bring me back to that day because you know like that's that's a yeah that that's a huge step you know like the the this is major so what happened prior what gave you the pretty much the courage to 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 go through that door well, what happened is I ended up stealing from my, my parents. I ended up stealing from my, my mom and I got caught. And, uh, that was a really shitty moment. Um, yeah, just the disappointment that I, that I, you know, uh, the disappointment that I created and the distrust that I created. Um, and, th- from that point on, so that's when my father, found some uh, resources in Montreal and then I went to go see this crisis center in Montreal and this lady talked to me about meetings and she gave me a pamphlet of a meeting and um, so I took I took that took the information didn't do much with it for a bit and then and again, I got busted. Like I, I was like hiding it from my girlfriend at the time and I was getting high and drinking and, and then I got busted again. Um, and then, so I finally just made it, I'm going to go try one of these meetings of this pamphlet that this woman gave me. And that day I took the, I took the Metro to little Burgundy to the Salvation Army on Guy, Guy and, um, uh, what is that? De Maisonneuve? Yep. Yeah. And that was my first meeting ever. And I sat in there, Alex, and I wept. I wept like I hadn't wept in a long time. Uh, and I just remember thinking like, what, what the fuck is going on in this meeting? <laughs> um, I remember looking at the person up front and being like, that must be the president of this group and president <laughs> of this whole program. And, <laughs> and I identified yeah. myself as an addict. And um, I remember... I had no idea what, what was to come. I had no idea what was involved. I just, I just knew that I had to get there. Um, I was sort of like analyzing people and seeing what kind of people I had a lot of emotion coming up and I left that meeting being like, okay, that was good. And I remember I got to the Metro and I, I called my sister on a payphone 
And I said, I just, I just left the meeting and then I cried some more on the payphone. <laughs> and then I took my metro. I, I, and then I took the, I took the subway and went back home. And, and then I started to frequent meetings at that point. And it was, it must've been for about three years that I was just sort of in and out trying to get sober. Um, but not really, not real, like not being able to stop using. I could see people that were getting better. I could see people who lived the same experiences that I did and I identified with them and they weren't living what I lived anymore. And so part of me knew that there was hope, but part of me was just like, uh, I can't stop. <laughs> yeah. Were you envious? You know, like, uh, cause I hear that a lot, you know, like the first time they go at a meeting and, and, and again, you know, like I, I, I want the listeners to know that, you know, like, I get it, you know, like if, if you're worried or scared or, or just, I understand, you know, like the, 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 you know, like one thing that I would, you know, I get, I totally understand how vital it is to be anonymous, you know, like, so I totally understand that, yeah. but what I, what I sometimes, um, regret a bit is the lack of, um, for the outside world, yeah, it it seems so. You know, like it, 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 I don't know what a meeting was, um, and 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 um, luckily um, the the therapy center which I I did, which was Maison Jean La Pointe, yeah. um, actually like both brought the meeting in, and then on our third week we could. You know, like we were we were um, carpooled outside at some outside meeting, but if it wasn't for that, um, I can totally understand someone that goes to the website of Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous and 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 look at meeting lists and you know like most a lot of them are in churches basement and all that and and being scared shitless to actually go there um, because they don't know what to expect. Yeah. Um, and and. That's unfortunate because, you know, like if, if there is some place that is so welcoming and open harmed and, 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 and so peaceful and, and, you know, like it's, it's in a meeting, you know, like I, I brought, I brought my kids there. I brought my wife there yeah. and that's pretty much you know, like every single time it's the feedback I get which is like, holy shit, you know, like everyone looks peaceful and, and serene. And, and, um, so for, for anyone that's worried or scared or, or just nervous about going there, um, it's probably the last place on earth that you're, you're never going to feel unwelcomed. Yeah. You're never going to feel, um, uninvited, um, you know, like there's, there's a saying that said that, you know, like you paid enough for your seat there. Yep. Um, so, you know, like your seat is, there's a reserve seat for you in there. Yep. Um, if you, if you're asking yourself the question, if you should go, you probably should. And, um, and there's a seat to your name at any meeting spot that you found on, on online or wherever. Um, and for me, it's important to always say it because, you know, like it, there's, um, I, I did a special during the holidays with, with, there was like two specials, one was younger people. Um, and I say that not a, again, you know, like they were just, just younger than me. Yeah. And, um, and we were talking about, you know, like 
and it's funny because it was prior to the pandemic where we saw that that amazing turnaround of virtual meetings happening and you know like i don't know in, in your in your region but you know like in mine um it's such a beautiful thing to see you know like how much um every organization have turned around in such a beautiful um, way um, that there are three, four, five, six, seven meetings, depending on the fraternity you're, you know, like you, you prefer. And it's just, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I think I'm speaking more in, in Quebec than I was when I was living there. Um, you know, like it's um, next week I'm speaking in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I've got to speak in Toronto and, um, you know, and, and, I got, it's just what's really cool to see is is the adaptability of recovery fellowships in order, you know, with the ultimate purpose of of having a place for people to go that are struggling or or not, right? And um, yeah, you know, and and like Alex said, you know, for any of the listeners, if you're wondering, you know, whether or not, like, if it's if you want to go attend your first meeting or whatnot, it can be, it is for sure scary because one, it comes with the implication of ad, of admission, of admission, and and that can come with a a real big piece of letting go, right? Letting go of cocaine and alcohol was like letting go of a friend that had. I mean, a friend, I, I put that in quotation marks, but, uh, you know, somebody who'd been with me for so long. Um, so there's there's one, there's the implication of letting go and a, and, a, and, a, and a deeper level, an admission that you have a problem, one. So I can understand that that can be scary. Two, you don't know what the, what the hell, what, what a meeting's about. And perhaps you've only seen like uh, maybe the perception of meetings that you have or what you've seen on movies or TV or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's sort of the unknown there. So, but here's what I can say, uh, you know, in regards to that is that yes, it can be, if you it can be uh, fearful, um, to do it and not any more fearful than waking up with the shame and guilt from, and remorse from what you experienced the night before, not any more fearful than oh shit, my pay is going to come in on Thursday or Friday and I know I don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. Not any more fearful than letting your family down. Not any more fearful of work, you know, the guilt. Um, so, I mean, we can be fearful staying the same way or we could be fearful trying something new. And you just described the bottom of the barrel here. Yeah. You know, like the bottom of the barrel is the, how... Um, how it can flip your stomach knowing that again this month you're going to try to talk your way out of being late on your rent. Yeah. You're going to talk your way out of having uh, being short on groceries yeah. and asking your parents or, or whoever some money. Yeah. Um, you're going to be, you know, like you, you, you know, like your stomach turned because, you know, like you can't pay your minimal payment on your credit card because they're all fucking loaded and yeah. you've lied to one to try to pay the other and, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, like it's, it's just, like I said, you know, like when I did the holiday special with the younger, um, you know, like, like some of our following generation, yeah. um, one thing that, you know, like we, we all agreed on is that, you know, like fraternities could be, be do better right now in well first using the social media and the new technology which again you know like oddly enough that was before seeing all of the zoom meetings popping yeah. um but the second thing is um 
and and you can still through that through anonymity, but you know, like in in explaining what a meeting is, you know, like there there seems to be like it, it's hard for someone that doesn't know what a meeting and you know like what a meeting place is, um, finding that online or or wherever, you know, like it's um, and like you said, you know, like if if your reference is some M M&M video or or some movies, yeah. um, you're mistaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> often, I mean, often what's portrayed in the media, right? Like is, is like this circle of depression is, is where dark and gloomy, like yeah. really sad. And sure. Yeah. We've been through the ringer and people in meetings have been through the ringer and experienced some very horrible and, and sad events. And I mean, meetings are filled with love and hope and for the most part, right. Filled with love and hope and, and experience and people who have been where you're at people who, People where alcohol or substances, it's no secret for them. And they, they, they know what you're going through. They know what you've been through and they're not living it anymore. And um, yeah, and that's, you know, essentially that's what it is. It's a, it's a group of people who, have, who, who, who speak your language, if you will. Yep. And, and precisely, you know, like if you're suddenly not an outsider. So, you know, like um, one thing that, you know, like... Um, is known by addicts is that you know like we're fighting our own ego so if you think that when you're passing the door everyone's gonna turn and look at you like you're the outsider don't worry you know like we're we're pretty much you know, like concentrated and and caring for our own ego and trying to cure that you know like so um we pretty much you know, like there's there's a lot of caring but there's a lot of also of um bringing as many people in because i i i'm gonna stay sane and i'm gonna stay sober by caring for my for my next of kin you know like so yeah. so um yeah i mean like that the you know like i i try to every single recording uh pretty much you know like tell people that you know like don't worry you know like just go there park in the parking you don't have to talk you know like it's not like you said you know like all sitting in circle where you have to you know like tell your story you know you you won't have to tell your story if you if you don't want to yeah. um and you probably you know like the first few months won't have to tell your story yeah. um and you can actually spend your whole life sober not telling your story and you know like that's that's fine too um but yeah you know like it's uh for me it's just um I see this almost as a duty to um, make this like as welcoming as it is, yep. you know, for, for, for the outside world. Um, and so you said that you were on and off like for a few years. What made it that you decide that what happened to make it stick? Cocaine happened. Alcohol happened. It kicked my ass. It beat me into a state of like, it beat me, it beat me to a place where I finally got a little, a little bit more open-minded enough to, 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 to really, um, surrender. Right. So it just, it just beat me up to a place where October 2nd, 2006, I ended up in the hospital last time as a result of, uh, drugs and alcohol. And, um, yeah, like it just had beat me into a place where it's like, I became really, uh, open-minded I became because that's here's the thing with alcohol and drugs, right? Like to the to the to the person who's not suffering from addiction, it's very hard to understand 
for what purpose somebody would go back and take the substance that is killing them and destroying their lives. It's very difficult. To, it's not logical, actually. It's not rational at all because it makes no logical or rational sense, right? It's it's really irrational. And, you know, some might use the word insane, um, very unconscious, meaning outside the conscious awareness, beyond the conscious awareness, which is the logical awareness. Um, and so I got beaten into a state where I got pulled out of my logic and it was just like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I'm going to follow whatever they tell me, right? Which was totally counterintuitive or paradoxical to the way I had been living my life. I was living my life of running the show. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm just going to pull my straps up and, and you know, like, which would be the logical thing to say, you know, be it drug addiction, be it alcoholism. I mean, I, I get to work professionally now with people who don't have the same symptomology as drug addiction or alcoholism, but they have the underlying problem. And yep. they participate in very self-defeating behaviors over and over and over again. There's nothing logical about that. Nobody logically wants to hurt themselves, self-defeat themselves or like, right? It's very illogical. It's very unconscious. Um, and so I got beaten into that state where it's like I stopped trying to make rational, logical sense out of it. And I just said, okay, I don't know what's out there. Like I said a prayer. What happened to me is – I was in the hospital. So to give you a little image, right? I'm in the hospital. I'm about 170 pounds soaking wet, which is very tiny for me. And um, I'm pale, right? So like I'm because I'm, I'm fairly dark complexion. So if I'm pale, I'm not doing well at all. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm hooked up with tubes and, and I'm in ICU. And I asked the nurse, I said, okay, nurse, tell me where the, where the chapel is. Because it was very illogical for me, but I knew I knew something. I needed something else greater. I needed something else. Call it divine. Call it whatever. Call, I just knew I needed something. And, and the thought was go and pray or, or something. And I proceeded to go to the chapel that day again, once again. And I fell to my knees, Alex. And I, I can't really, you know, t to try to put words to what happened to me is, is very difficult. But what happened to me is I... I started to weep again and I, you know, I just basically just kind of said out loud, I said, if there's any the fucking chance that I can have another chance at this thing called life, if you can afford me or whatever is out there, if something can afford me another chance at this thing called life, I promise you I'll serve to the day I leave my body. That was the last prayer that I said in that, in that hospital. And, um, less than 24 hours later, a man came to see me. Yeah, a man who was um, a member of the recovery community and lived what I lived and wasn't living it anymore, was sober, was clean, was living his life with purpose. And he came to see me at the hospital and and he was very straightforward with me, right? And I was in that place where I was just really open-minded and it didn't really matter. Like whoever was going to tell me whatever to do to get sober, I was going to do it. I was going to listen. I was going to follow which was very counterintuitive for me, very illogical, very irrational for me, right? Um, and um, he proceeded to just like love me, and and he didn't use the most comfortable words, right? Like <laughs> he was just like, "Are you like seriously? Are you done fucking around or what?" Like he, you know, yeah. we've seen you coming around for a few years now. I mean, you are in left field, buddy. You're gonna die, and. Um, 
And that would, that kind of just shocked me in the way that he was speaking to me. But what he was doing, see, he was he was being loving enough to be truthful with me, Alex. Right? He didn't. He he. And that's what I needed, I guess. Right? Like he he didn't want to coddle my sensitive little feelings, but he didn't want me to fucking die. And and it's it just just um, not to cut you off, but you know, like that there, there are um, there seems to be phases. In, in, in fraternities yeah. for people that don't know you know like there was a phase a few years back where um the pampering and you know like the tlc was a bit less sugar-coated let's say that way yeah. and you just described it which is like okay shut the fuck <laughs> up listen you know and and i love you but put your ass here yeah. listen and apply what you hear yeah. and 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 but you know, it seems like now we're seems we, we it it seems like we're more in a pampering, more are we sweeter phase. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, like I've been told to shut the fuck up a few times. You know, like a, a a few years back. You know, like which was what I needed at the time. Yeah, yeah, and well, and, and it's 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 different, right? Like, so it's like. I mean, I wouldn't paint the brush saying that it's all like that because I mean, there's there are guys that I've guys that I have helped, people that have helped me that um, you know, are very truthful, right? Like I said, I mean, to be loving is to be truthful, and and but what I've also discovered through my experience, Alex, from having a privilege of helping a ton of people with addiction and alcoholism, is that I mean, it's not always the same for everybody, right? Some people need a little bit of coddling. Some people need to be told to shut the fuck up some people need right like it's just it's really like a person to person because every individual even though we're on the same boat every individual is different and that's something that i've grown in my own sobriety to understand once upon a time like i was just a very hard you know like i was just very hard knocks and you know i'd tell i'd say this i would say it the message stays the same the message stays the same in the sense that there is hope And you can get sober, you can get clean, you can get past your demons, you can get freedom. And there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. There's many ways to do it, but there's a way to do it. Here's a way to do it. The message stays the same, but what I've come to realize in my own experience is that the way that I deliver that message is not always the same for everybody. And and it's the pathway. You know, like it it doesn't mean that you're going to you know, like use the asphalt <laughs> all along that route. Right. But but it, it it shows you kind of a pathway yeah. at once. You know, like I've never, before that, I would have never imagined that there was a, I you know, like I knew it couldn't keep going like that. But, you know, like I, I, I was like, what are the fucking options? Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. You know, and, and and like I said, you know, like it's a it's a, a fight against your ego, yeah. and so you're you're in um you're kind of in a storm of life is against me, God is against me, yeah. everyone's against me, and um and yeah, I mean, like you 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 you're solutionless actually, you know, like you you're just well, um, it's either that or I die, um. Or I get caught, or or or, um, and I mean on the, on the almost like the police sense of it. But um, yeah, I mean like you 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 try moving, that doesn't work. You try changing your friend circle and network, and that doesn't work. And you try changing job, and that doesn't work. And you try, and you're still fucking using. Yeah. And uh, and then finally, um, 
through therapy or through meetings or through whatever, um, someone show you a pathway. And I, I have to ask you, um, during those two, three years, can you, um, can you remember how the taste of all of these drugs and alcohol changed because you knew that pathway? Yeah, for sure. Like it, for sure. It, it I mean, it, it, it fucked up my buzz. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, so, so here's the thing is that I would go into these meetings, this place that I went to initially because I was desperate and I was like, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to keep drinking or using anymore. So I go to these meetings and I would see people, I would see people come in after me and stay sober, get well, you know, have, have that sort of glow in their eyes on top of all like the material shit, like, you know, getting the families back, the credit cards back, the jobs back, but, but living purposefully and, and, and having some sort of peace and happiness in their lives. And I would see people come in after me and, and, and sort of like get beyond me, if you will, if I could put it that way. And like, so that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, you, you got a belly full of beer, or alcohol, a nose full of Coke and, a head full of possible solutions. You, 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 you're, you, it's not the same anymore, right? It's not the same because you, now you've become aware. Now you've become conscious. So now it's there's a choice going on, right? Yep. Very and, a very and, unconscious <laughs> choice, might I add, but it's yeah, nonetheless. And what um, what happens after you met that guy? So that guy spent some time with me in the hospital and, um, we had quite the experience in the hospital and upon leaving the hospital, I went straight to a rehab. So, um, I went to this, this one crisis center, which they place you in rehabs. And I remember the gentleman looking at me and saying, are you ready to go to rehab tomorrow? And I said, yes, I, it, wow. I just, I, I said, yes, I was still in that place, Alex. And I was just like, whatever you say, like, um, yeah, I really want to not live this way anymore. And so I went to a rehab and I was in a rehab for three months and, um, I created a really cool foundation for me. And, um, and then upon leaving rehab, I mean, I just, it was about everything, everything, my priority was about staying sober and it is about staying, you know, staying sober And so if anything cut into my life of sobriety, I had to cut it out. Like I just got really clear as to the, the importance because without my sobriety, dude, I mean, there ain't no relationships there. There are no friendships. There's no family. There's no more money. The jobs are not going to, I mean, I'm going to lose them anyways or not get hired. So I got really clear. I got really clear and congruent with the fact that my recovery was the most important thing and everything had to come out after that. So when I got out of rehab, I had to start looking for a job. If the job was at nighttime, I, nope, I'm not doing it because it cuts into my, you know, my regular attendance at meetings in the evening and, and the, and, you know, this, the socializing with people who are in recovery afterwards, that was more important to me. So, you know, I would, I refuse a few jobs that offered me nighttime shift. I got a job that offered me a daytime shift, which, which came around my recovery instead of my recovery becoming around it. And, um, yeah. And, and, and my guess is that you want to come back home not long after that, right? How how do you mean? Well, you're back in 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 your hometown or close to your hometown. Yeah. Um, 
how long does it take before and well pretty much two questions you know like what do you decide to do with your life in terms of career and how long before you you go back close to home in saskatchewan you mean yeah oh oh wow so so coming out of rehab and, 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 you know, my job, my, the clarity that I needed was, was that I needed structure. So I just needed to work at a place so that I could pay the bills so that I could pay rent, get food, and I could work, I could focus on recovery. That was the, that was the utmost importance. And then from that recovery stem, my, rebuilding my relationships with family, myself, um, building new relationships. So I started to work in the corporate space in, in telecommunications. Okay. And um, I excelled rather quickly in telecom. Um, so I, you know, I went from customer service of just like, thank you for calling. Uh, how can I help you at $13 an hour, um, to quickly being, uh, to getting a small business sales job, um, a small business sales uh, position to a medium account executive to large account executive to large and strategic account executive, um, you know, Staying sober all along and that always being my priority. Um, I excelled a lot in the corporate field. I, you know, met President's Club member for many years in a row, headhunted by all the different telecom companies and and always consistently in parallel keeping my recovery in priority. Um I also I also got into a relationship at that point. I got married within that within that time as well. Um, also got divorced within that time as well. <laughs> um, so what happened was uh, is that I uh, at a later in my career I was making a ton of money. I was having a bunch of success, some good notoriety in the industry, and I was so dispassionate with what I was doing. Like it was like pulling teeth for me to really get out of the home and go to the office. And, and so one day I, I was sitting in a, in a, in a boardroom meeting with, you know, VPs and SVPs and we're all talking, you know, we're all talking telecom. And, and I remember to myself, I was just saying like, I'm, I'm really not happy here. I'm just, I'm not passionate about doing this and I can't do this anymore. And I texted my boss and I said, can you meet me in your office? And he met me in his office and uh, I sat with him. I said, I can't do this anymore. And he said, well, okay, just you know, take the day off and come back tomorrow. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Like all of this. And he's like, wow. Okay. So they were really kind to me. I mean, I had brought them a lot of business as well. And they provided me with a package, which, which kind of took care of me for a couple of months. And, um, I left there, Alex, you know, with with uh just with a lot of intention about okay like what am i going to do now so i've built this career up in telecom corporate space i've built an identity up we were talking about identity earlier on i've built an identity up on that and now i've discovered that's actually not who i am um which can be really uncomfortable right like it's 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 been a journey of uncovering discovering who i'm not to find out who i really am and so I, I, I just took the question in silence. So I have a meditative practice that I've had for the last, you know, 14 years or so. And I brought the question in silence and I asked, I just kept asking, okay, what is it that I want to do? And I would bring it into silence. And a couple months after it became very clear to me, um, 
I ask myself, you know, what do I like? What really lights me up? What fires me up? What, 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 what am I passionate about? And I thought about all the people that I've had the privilege and have been invited into their lives in recovery and helping them with, you know, getting and staying sober. And, and I knew it. I said, that lights me up. And then listen to the next thought was, well, if alcohol and solution, if alcohol and drugs are a symptom of the problem, that they're not the problem. Surely other people have a problem, but just not the same symptomology. Right. And I said, Oh shit. I said, okay, how could I equip myself to be able to help people, not just in addiction, but also outside the addiction? How can I help people really turn their lives around the way that I turn my life around with whatever that is, whether it be alcohol or drugs, whether it be constantly going into toxic relationships, whether it be always fantasizing about it, having a professional life, but never achieving it, whether it be not having deep relationships with your family, how can I put myself in a position to empower and help other people? And I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. That's why, that's how I want to live my life by helping people and um hmm. yeah and then i was off and i was off in the states speaking at a convention a recovery convention and i told my story how i just left my corporate gig and and um i got talking to somebody outside and he said you know what i know a guy here in the states that certifies people to help to coach people and i said oh yeah so i contacted this gentleman this gentleman and I had some actually some some um, uh, what you call it some common friends that have helped us. We didn't even know each other actually. We come from the same lineage of of people, right? And in terms of recovery, and and we didn't even know each other. And uh, you know, I, I think for some reason, uh, Alex, when 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 we congruently make a decision, so. You know, when I mean congruently, I mean, when you make a decision and all lights are go, like every fiber in your being is like, yes, do that. The the universe conspires to support us in that decision, right? And then things start to align up in in a way that's ah, maybe beyond my comprehension, but I mean, whatever. And um, so I began my journey in my professional life in coaching people and giving trainings and speaking for different companies and sharing my story and helping people get really, you know, clear on their story and what they want to create in terms of their story. Um, And then, yeah, so so I I got into this and then um, I, I got divorced. Um, and I was in Montreal for a couple more years and I'd always been longing to be back in Regina close to family because this is where my family is. And so I made the decision to pack it up and leave and come back to Regina just over a year ago now. Oh, so it's only been. Yeah, it's, all, it's been, only been a year and, and two months since I've moved back to Regina. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so. W- so you decided to like build a company around that? Yep. So I have, so I have my company in terms of, I, so I coach people, be it athletes, actors, executives, salespeople, entrepreneurs, teenagers. I've coached a few teenagers, uh, um, 
you know, uh, couples. Um, so I coach people one-on-one kind of from all over the world. So I've got clients in Montreal, I've got Regina, France, England, Australia. Um, and so I, so on top of the coaching, the one-on-one coaching, I also give trainings. So I certify people in the modalities that I'm trained in. So I give, I just finished a training last weekend, uh, certification training, six day certification training. I give, you know, little workshops here and there. I go into companies and teach them on sales. Um, and you know, when I, like this company that I taught, I, 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 I train their, their sales executive team, right. I give them a two day sales training, you know, day one, I didn't even, I didn't even talk about sales, right. I talked about I talked about, you know, a place of beingness of how to be, because it doesn't matter if I give you all the wonderful tools and fancy tools and this and that. If, if you've got some limiting shit and you don't believe in yourself or you don't, you believe that you can't do something, it doesn't matter what I give you in terms of tools. You got, (laughs) you're going to, the belief is going to win out. So I, you know, I, I really, my passion, Alex, is helping people access the power within themselves to go and create their lives by design. Yep. And make the best out of who they are. That's right. Yeah. And, um, what is the name of the company? So it's Joe Alvarez coaching is, is, is my, is my coaching company, my school, the Academy. So I, so I certify people in my, in the modalities that I am, that I'm trained in is higher powered coaching Academy. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So I really in the recovery, because in recovery, Alex, I got to sit with people that fucking were living on the street that didn't know how to read, that today have their own homes. They run their business. I've sat with people, executives of, of you know, like CEOs. I've sat with all in the recovery. It gave me that. It really gave me that taste of purpose it gave me that taste of being a channel so that i can help somebody really um transform their lives and i just wanted to broaden that like i was like yes okay addiction is a problem and there's a lot of help that's needed there and there are people that are just so freaking unhappy but they the symptomology isn't to go pick up cocaine and alcohol right it could just be like fucking constant procrastination around something that they really want to do or like starting that business that they've always wanted to start. And like, you know, whatever that is, I, you know, there's, um, I'll say this really quickly. There's a, there's a book that, um, there's an Australian nurse who worked in the, um, uh, the palliative care unit for many years. So she worked with people that were dying, obviously, right? And she built relationships with these people for many years. And what she did, interesting enough, she recorded all their top regrets in life, okay? I'm not going to list them out to you, right? But the first, the number one regret of dying people in a palliative care unit over 15 years or whatever it was, was... I should have lived the life true to me, not the life I thought others wanted me to live. Wow. Isn't that 
Doesn't that fucking give you just goosebumps? Because I know that. I've experienced that. I've experienced living my life the way I thought others wanted me to live it, and it wasn't true to me. Yeah. Right? And so I got trained in, in, in modalities which helped me get really congruent and clear with who I am. I mean, I'm always going to be evolving, Alex, until the day I leave my body. I'll always be learning and growing. And... I've been able to really, like you want pure water, you don't add anything to the water, you remove its impurities, right? So I've, I've really got to a place in my life where I really just feel comfortable in my skin of where I'm going, what I'm doing, what I'm saying, who I'm being. And I'm just excited for what's to come. And I just, and, and my passion is to help other people do the same. That's phenomenal. That's great. And, and, you know, like the pretty much like the, the last question is, you know, like, how are you doing today? You know, like how, how is your business going? And, you know, like, I'm, I'm assuming it's doing fantastic, but you know, like because of all of you, what you just described, but, um, how are you doing? Based, I mean, I'm, I'm personally how I'm doing, well, how I'm being right now. I'll start with how I'm being because I really truly believe that it starts from a place of beingness. We be the person that I be, I need to be the person that I want to be in order to do what it is I want to do in order to have what I want to have. For many years, I get caught up if I just have this, then I can be this. Or if I just do a bunch of shit, then I can be this or have this. But it always starts in a place of being for me. So who I'm being today is uh, I know that I have I know that I have purpose right and that I don't know if there's a better gift that you can give somebody or that I can have is is this idea of purpose right I've got purpose on this planet everybody's got purpose right sometimes we just unconsciously choose not to see it but everybody's got purpose, whether that be coaching, whether that be podcasts, whether that be being a mother, whether that being a teacher, being a nurse, whatever that is, we all have purpose. So I'm being my purpose. And that for me um, comes with um, a very disciplined life of discovering myself, observing myself, um, learning more about who I want, what I want, what I don't want, who I want to be with, where I want to spend my time, how I want to spend my time. So my, my life is very focused on that, about being just fulfilled, right? Now, it doesn't come without, right? It doesn't come without pain. And, you know, I've experienced lots of pain in recovery, in growth, in business. And the paradox is, is like, well, if I, let me put it to you this way. Um, cocaine and alcohol literally ripped everything out of value that I had in my life. And paradoxically, cocaine and alcohol gave me everything of value that I have today. And that's so important to say, you know, like it, it is so important to say. Yeah. Um, the reason why I say that is... Um, you know, like some some of the best days of my life were actually using, and some of the worst days of my life were actually there using. Go, right. So it's like this life of impermanence, 
right? It's changing all the time. There are people, you know, you make money, you lose money, you get jobs, you lose jobs, you go into relationships, you leave relationships, complete themselves. Um, people die, people are born, um, people come, people go, right? It's, it's really impermanent. And it's like, it's, it's not about, a teacher told me one time, are you trying to control an ever-changing life, Joe, or are you preparing yourself to be in a life that changes constantly, right? And, um, you know, there's a lot that I can control. Like there's a lot that I can't control in life in general. And one thing that I know that I can, can control is myself, my, my connection with myself, my connection in spirit, my connection with other people. I can control the way I respond and show up and be in life. And who is it that I want to be? Is it, you know, that kid that I was talking about at the beginning of our call, that good guy, the guy who leads, the guy who brings people together. Well, that's the person that I want to be and coming from a place of love rather than fear. And so that's what I try. That's who I try to be is best with myself. You know, I've got a, a girlfriend now who is wonderful and she's beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm head over heels. <laughs> and um, so I'm trying to be, you know, the best boyfriend and partner that I can be. I'm trying to be the best son that I can be. I try to be the best brother, the best uncle, uh, you know, a, a good friend, a good coach, um, and just show up in the best way possible. And like, listen, I'm a human being. And sometimes I fall off the beam. Sometimes I just, you know, I'm just like completely focused on myself. And, and, but I have tools and an awareness and awakeness and a practice to be able to get out of that. And, um, so, okay. So how am I doing? So I feel fulfilled. <laughs> That's how I feel. I feel fulfilled. And in my life ain't perfect. But I feel like I'm doing my purpose. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here. Um, yeah. So I hope that answers your question. It does. I mean, Joe, it was a, it was a fulfilling just to, <laughs> not to be corny, but it was a fulfilling hour and a half of discussion with you, and I cannot be thankful enough. Wow of you accepting the invitation, of your openness, your generosity. Um, I'm so humbled by that fucking project of mine. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I reach out to people that don't even know who I am, don't even know what that podcast yeah. is. I, I end up talking to people that are generous, open, open-minded, super cool, and... Um, and yeah, man, it's just, it's just, um, it is such an humbling and, 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 um, I mean, I can't, I can't be, um, just, um, super happy about that project. And, you know, like I, I'll, I never expected it to be so, um, giving back to me, you know, yeah. like I, I guess, you know, like I, I, I that was not. You know, like it wasn't the the initial purpose of it. You know, like I wanted to share um, people's story initially, yeah. but I, I I didn't realize that you know, like it's giving me so much that you know, like if even if there was five people listening, I would keep doing yeah. it. You know, like even if there was you know, like because it's um. Yeah, it is a humbling and a teaching experience for me. You know, like so, um, every single time someone show me um, a different um, 
storyline and, you know, like a, and, and a different um, pathway to solution. Um, it's just so great. So, and, and you're now part of that. And, and I can't thank you enough for being part of this. It's been, it's been my pleasure, Alex. And thank you again for the invitation. I as well feel humbled, right? I feel humbled. I feel like, yeah, there's just like that being right sized and being, you know, um, I'm no better. I'm no worse. I'm just exactly where I'm supposed to be right now, talking with the person who I'm supposed to be talking to with right now. And the paradox in it for both of us, right, is it's in the giving that we receive. You know, it's a very cliche saying. And unless you experience it as you are experiencing it, as I am experiencing it, right, it's just a saying. But when you experience it, it's beyond words. It's beyond logic. It's beyond rational thinking. Like your rational, logical thinking was to start a podcast. Never did you expect the dividends that you would be afforded as a result of doing that. And isn't that cool, right? <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I mean, like you never know, um, you never know, you know, like, uh, I started off by reaching out to people that I knew and then, and then eventually found the courage to just like send the invite to people that I didn't know, but you know, like knew of yeah. or, or by collateral or, or whatever. And then, and then got positive feedback from that. And I was like, holy shit. Okay, people, you know, like I, I, I can actually grasp people's attention by giving a platform for people to share their story. And and eventually it became kind of a almost like a natural thing. Like on a weekly basis, I reach out to people and and I don't, you know, like it's funny because, you know, like I'm <laughs> in my teens for flirting. We were two best friends having the same response, but with different um, gut feeling yeah. about it. You know, like my, my best friend would say, hey, buddy, you know, what's the worst that could happen? She's going to say, no, fuck it, yeah. you know? And then I would say, you know, what's the worst that could happen to me is that she'd say yeah. no. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, like, um, I guess, you know, like history repeats itself where, you know, like I've, I've now have that mindset of, you know, like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like they're going to ignore my message. They're going to say no. Yeah. And that's good. You know, like let's move on. Yeah. And, 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 uh, but, but you accept it. And the last thing I'm going to ask is, you know, like if people want to find Joe, Mr. Joe Alvarez online and, you know, like reach out to you because they were inspired and would like your help, how can they find you? Yeah, they can, they can, my website is joealvarezcoaching.com. So Joe Alvarez coaching is one word j-o-e-a-l-v-a-r-e-z c-o-a-c-h-i-n-g uh sorry yeah joe alvarez joe alvarez coaching.com yeah um they can find me on facebook uh joe alvarez they can find me on instagram at joe underscore alvarez underscore coaching and um yeah if anything resonated with you and you want to get in touch with me or chat please by all means reach out i'll be happy to speak with you Awesome. And, and if you're listening to this, um, in the description of the podcast episode, wherever you're listening to it, either pod, Google, iTunes or whatever, uh, if you scroll down, you're going to find every link that Joe's going to provide me uh, so you can find Joe. And um, yeah, I mean, again, thanks a lot for your time, Joe. It was super appreciated. I had a blast. And um yeah, I mean, long live to to your coaching uh, journey. And your purpose as well, man. Keep it up, dude. Keep getting it there. Thank, yep. Thanks. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.